You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. ...of who God is. And so we have a tendency as humanity to kind of create God in our own image and we make him a little more controllable than he should be. We make him a little more understandable than he should be. We, we just make him a little more approachable than probably we, we feel like. Uh, we just kind of will make God into our image if we're not careful. And so when you read the book of Psalms, what you do is you, you see God for who he is. You're like, oh, that's how he responds. Or, okay, I'm, I'm kind of beginning to see uh, a, a cl- more clear picture of who he is. And then the second thing that we said, and this is probably something that all of us can realize as we're reading them, is that the Psalms give you an accurate picture of what life looks like. So in one Psalm, they're, they're celebrating God's faithfulness and his kindness and his mercy and his compassion. And then the, the next Psalm, they're, they're complaining about, you know, God, you're not around. Where are you? I don't believe in you. Why is everyone, you know, coming upon me, right? It's kind of from one Psalm or the Or if you get really lucky, you get one Psalm and it's like, God, where are you? I can't believe you've, you know, whatever, whatever. And then you get to the end and there's like this healthy process where he's like, okay, now I see you. And so the, the Psalms are, are really, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, are actually a really good place to just kind of examine what life is like, right? Uh, imagine, um, so aliens are real, right? We've seen this in the news. Um, you can not call them UFOs. We know what you're talking about. So anyways, all right. So, um, you know, imagine if an alien dropped in, which they don't exist, whatever. But um, imagine an alien dropped in, and all they had were the Psalms, and they were, they were going to read the Psalms, right? Like, they would read those and go, what's wrong with these people, right? And, and so it gi- it, the, the Psalms gives us an, an accurate picture of, man, this is the rawness of life. And, and so we're calling this series Songs for the Season, uh, because whatever season you kind of find yourself in life, there will be a psalm that will, will match it. I don't have to make that argument for some of you. Some of you, like, the, you've walked through difficult places in your life, and you have a psalm in particular that's helped carry you through. It's, it's been true in my life. It's been true of a lot of people in, in the room. And so for every season, we have a, um, a psalm that really helps connect in so many different ways. And, and so the psalm this morning that we're looking at is actually a really difficult one. It's Psalm 51. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, Molly and read it, but we'll, we'll kind of walk through it in a second. Um, but, but this psalm's written by uh, King David. King David is kind of the, the prototype Jesus figure in the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, you would have individuals who were kind of the, the pointer to Jesus. And so if you know much about King David, he uh, slayed Goliath. Um, he... Uh, he became best friends with the, the king of Israel's uh, son um, and then was, was uh, the, the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, Saul tried to kill him and then he's appointed king. Like there's a whole incredible process in David's life. And so for the most part, when you read about David, uh, David is the hero of the story. So you, you, you watch his life and you go, man, that took a tremendous amount of incur- uh, courage and belief in God to accomplish what he just accomplished against all odds. Um, and so that's, for the most part, that's David's story. This psalm in particular, Psalm 51, actually comes out of David's darkest place. Um, I, it's, a, it's a complex kind of story. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's a horrific story. Um, and and it's, it's by far David's lowest place in the scriptures. And so when we talk about seeing life for what it is, this is what you see in Psalm 51. 
And, and one of the things that, that I do want to say on the front end before we kind of dive into to kind of all of this is this psalm in many ways should fill you, it should fill us, it should fill me with a lot of hope. And, and we're going to kind of get into the weeds of it. Um, but, but what this psalm is going to do is it's actually going to really reveal a key to walking with God in health. And so, so I want us to read it with this kind of understanding or this lens of thinking like, okay, how does this, um, how does this restore hope for me? Like, how can I in, embrace this particular one and, and go, okay, this is good. I'm, I'm seeing David's brokenness. I'm seeing his, his kind of wickedness that operates outside of this. And I'm going to, to kind of let this be a, a lesson for myself. And, and I do want to say that this Psalm 51, in a lot of ways, is talking about something that is the, is, say, secret, but, but it's kind of like the secret to change. If you want to experience genuine change in your life, this is what Psalm 51 is going to provide for you. Now, I, I'm going to say what it is that we're talking about this morning, and you're going to go, um, sounds a little bit outdated, you know, that's, especially if you grew up in the church, you're going to hear it, and you're like, okay, I, I've heard that before, I understand what we're talking about, that, that's a little bit kind of, um, uh, just that feels like old, kind of old school. But, but the thing that we're talking about this morning really is, I, I think in a lot of ways, the key to change. And it is this principle or this understanding in the scripture called repentance. And so last week we looked at Psalm 1 as a psalm of wisdom. And this week I want to look at Psalm 51 as a psalm of repentance. And so we're going to look at th this place where, where David, uh, in a lot of ways, completely uh, destroys his life. And, and I want you to consider for a second, because all of us would, would probably agree, all of us have done things that we regret doing, all of us have done things that we probably have um, guilt over, this behavior or this thought in this situation. Like if we kind of went around the room, which would be a super fascinating, interesting, and terrifying uh, thing to do, but if we just went around and said, just give us one thing that you've regretted or one thing that you hate that you did, all of us would be able to say something. And, and so the question I want us to pose this morning, or the, the thought I want us to think about, is what if it's possible, what if it's possible to not only make it through this really difficult thing as a result of your actions, as a result of your rebellion, and not only to make it through, but actually to be better on the other side of it? Like, what if it's possible to absolutely blow up your life and experience a type of health on the other side that you would have never anticipated. That's what you imagine with me for a moment. What if that's possible? To, to move from absolute brokenness to wholeness. To move from being kind of in the, 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 the level, like gutter level, to being elevated to a healthy place again. This is, this is what Psalm 51 is, is going to um, show us is what we're going to learn in particular that, that no matter how much you blow up your life I want you to hear this, no matter how much you blow up your life it can be repaired this is the good news of Psalm 51 it's the good news of the gospel okay um, uh, there, there's probably two people in this room as we think about this idea of repentance and, and we're going to again we're going to see what David does here in a moment so I'll, I'll kind of catch us up but, but there's probably two people in the crowd um, on on really two ends of the spectrum. And so probably on one end of the spectrum, this is going to be really good news for you this morning. 
Perhaps right now you're walking through uh, the consequences of a decision that you've made, and it feels like you've blown up your life. And for you this morning, you're going to hear this, and you're going to receive Psalm 51, and you're going to say, it's going to be air in your lungs because of where you're at in your life. So that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, right, so I need you to grasp it in Psalm 51. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, we're, we're going to get into it, and you're going to be like, dude, that, David, that David's an idiot. And I'm, I would never blow up my life like that. And so I'm really glad we're talking about this morning. I think the few people that I think this will be helpful for this morning, uh, the guy on my right, right? Like there's a few of you in the room that's just going to be thinking that, you know what I mean? You're like, uh, is this recorded so I can send it to, you know, my buddy or whatever or my friend? Um, and, and you're going to be in the room and you're going to think, man, David, total like disaster. I'm never going to blow up my life like that. And, and you have just, just, I just need to be really honest, you have an overinflated view of yourself. And there's a real danger for us to say, I would never do that. I, I would never blow up my life. And so for some of you in the room, this needs to serve as a warning for you. It needs to uh, help develop a healthy type of fear in your life to say, okay, man, if David, if you don't know anything about him, he was the king of Israel right, like, like, walked with God, a closeness with God that was unlike, like, anything you had seen at that time, had the favor and the blessing of God on his life, anointed as king of Israel. If David can fall at this level, what makes you think that you can't? He can blow up his life. You and I can blow up our life, and so let's be careful as we kind of think um, through this process. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, Psalm 51, uh, walking through this idea of um, repentance. I, I think Psalm 51 is probably the most helpful resource that we have. And this, this idea of repentance is actually all through kind of the biblical narrative. So Matthew 3, uh, 1 through 2, there was a, a guy named John the Baptist. He was a bit crazy, like you wouldn't leave your kids with him. So Matthew 3, 1 through 2, uh, but listen what he says here. He says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's plagiarism. Acts 2, 37 through 38. I'm just joking. Jesus doesn't plagiarize. He can do whatever. All right, Acts 2, 37 through 38. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter. So Peter preaches his first sermon to all these people. It says, the rest of the apostles said to him, brothers, what should we do with this news that we just received about the good news of the gospel and our rebellion against God? Peter replied, uh, no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's all good, bro. He says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we see conversion, gospel being preached, and then conversion, Second Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand. This is so good. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the good news about this morning is that we have a God in heaven who's patient and who understands the process of repentance is necessary for all of us. A, a one, and we'll get into it, a one-time repentance that, that, uh, um, that results in conversion and then a lifetime of repentance of just owning our stuff. Owning our stuff. 
Okay, so what, what exactly is repentance? Um, I, I think uh, the, the reason uh, it's such a, a good, Psalm 51 is such a, a good res- kind of understanding of repentance is because it, it not only shows us how David responds, but it shows us how God responds. And so let me give a little bit of context before we dive into it, and I'll have to kind of move quickly. But uh, Psalm 51, if you have a Bible, you probably see it at the top. It, it basically says that um, David writes this psalm as a response to his sin with Bathsheba. And so let me just kind of give a fast review of what happened. So basically, uh, David is king. Uh, David at this point has sent his men out on, on kind of various battles. And the scriptures tell us um, in 2 Samuel, the, the scriptures tell us, I think it's 11 and 12, um, that David stays back. So he sends his men, and he stays back, and he doesn't go to war. And then what the, uh, this scripture tells us, that David is on his rooftop, and he sees uh, a lady named Bathsheba in her courtyard uh, bathing. And David, uh, in this moment, as a king, says, go get her for me and, and bring her to me. So David, using, this is why it's such a horrific situation, David using his position and his power, imagine the power dynamics here for a moment, his position and power calls this lady into his court and sleeps with Bathsheba. Not just sleeps with Bathsheba, he essentially rapes her, right? This is the power dynamics at play. He's a king of Israel, calls her in. Um, he disregards her, sends her back home. Uh, a couple months later, he hears that Bathsheba is now pregnant um, because that's what happens when you have sex. And so uh, she's pregnant and David's like, oh, I got to figure this out. I, I've got to now figure this out, right? Because this is, we, we talked about last week, this is what sin does, right? It always progresses, it always has consequences, it's always kind of a domino effect. And so then David uh, thinks, okay, how am I going to fix this? And, and so David calls Uriah. Now, Uriah is uh, um, in David's army, so he's out fighting. Now, David had something called the, the mighty men of David. Maybe you've heard of these guys before. And they basically were men who, when uh, David was running from his life from King Saul in the Old Testament, you had David's mighty men who came to David's help. So these men laid down their life to save David, David's mighty men. And Uriah was one of the mighty men who laid down his life for David. Now, Uriah is also married to Bathsheba. So David calls him back. He says, man, give me a report of what's happening. David reports on the battle, uh, or Uriah reports on the battle. David's like, man, that's okay. That's good to hear. That's great to hear. Bro, why don't you go home, take a rest, you know, go bathe yourself because that's a thing. You know, go clean up, go have some food, do whatever, and, and essentially go sleep with your wife. And Uriah being a man full of honor, he actually sleeps outside with the servants because he's like, my men are in battle. I'm, I'm not going home to my comfort. I'm not going home to my wife. I'm staying outside. He brings him in again. He actually gets him drunk. Uh, and, and with the idea that he's going to go sleep with his wife, uh, then she'll be pregnant by Uriah. And then all of David's problems will be solved, right? Uh, and, and he doesn't go home again. He, he actually goes home or he actually goes out and falls asleep on his mat. And so David now is thinking, okay, what am I going to do? So here's what David does. He sends Uriah back to battle. He sends him with orders to the lead commander of the battle who says, put Uriah in a position to die. So we just went from adultery, right? Adultery, rape, now moving into murder. He says, put him in a place where he'll die. Now, not only, here's what happens, uh, because the commander of Israel's army knows that he can't just, David actually said, put Uriah out front and withdraw all the men from him. 
And the commander's like, uh, they're not going to do that. And so the commander creates a fake mission that essentially not only gets Uriah killed, it gets multiple men killed. And then what, is, what does David do? David brings Bathsheba into his court. It's a horrific, um, it's a horrific story. And so in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7, so David thinks he's past it. Uh, David kind of thinks he's past it. A guy named Nathan comes to David. It says this, so the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan was a prophet to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, uh, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had all of these large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except a small lamb. This lamb became really important to them uh, and his, his, his children, right? They, uh, they, this was like, would eat from their food, would drink like your cat or dog, whatever, right? So um, then it says, a traveler came in verse two, a traveler came to the rich man. The rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep. So it says he took the poor man's lamb. Uh, he, he kills it, prepares it for the guest. Uh, in, in David, verse five, it says, David hears this story and he's infuriated with the man. He says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die, exclamation mark, because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for the lamb. And then Nathan replied to David, you are the man, right? In the most practical application that exists in a sermon, he says, you are the man. You're the man. Not you're the man in a good sense. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's where you go, no, I'm not, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, Verse 13, David's response to Nathan is what? I have sinned against the Lord. So he's confronted with his sin. Now, two things, I just want to say this briefly, two ways that I, I think we need to give David credit because he doesn't get a lot, of, he's not going to get a lot of credit and nor should he get a lot of credit in this position. But I think there's just two things I would like to point out. The, the first thing that we can at least give David credit for is he has men like Nathan in his life. He's allowed people who are walking with God, have a closeness with God to be in his proximity. And we can give him credit for that. He, he sees the value in it. We know other Israelite kings who removed anyone that feared God, who removed anyone that understood the scriptures, who, who did that. So David, for all of his wickedness in this particular story, he at least had individuals like men and women who were in close proximity to him that could say to him, you have messed up. So we got to give him credit, right? Because I'm reading this and going, okay, who's the Nathans in my life? Who's the Nathans in my life? Have I isolated myself? Do I have people that can speak truth to me? Okay, so, so we can give him a bit of credit. The, the, the second thing uh, that I think we can give him credit is that David responds quickly. Uh, I've been confronted with my sin before. Uh, it usually takes me a little bit, you know, to receive it. And, and, and David responds immediately. So we can give him credit for that. He's like, oh, I, you're right, I've, I've, I've sinned against the Lord. Okay, Psalm 51, 1 through 4. Just want to preference that. Uh, let's look what happens here. Starting in verse 1. It says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash out my guilt, and cleanse me, cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that you were right when you pass." Uh, sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Okay, so a traditional uh, definition of repentance is to turn back or to go the other direction. So it's to see the direction that you're moving in, to see the behavior, to see the response, and, and repentance is to turn back and go the other direction. Eugene Peterson, in his book, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, 
if you go here long enough, you'll hear me quote Eugene Peterson because I have a major uh, pastoral man crush on him. So this is what he says. Listen to what he says about repentance. He says, repentance is not an emotion. This is important. Repentance is not an emotion. It is not a feeling sorry for your sins. It is a decision. It is deciding that you've been wrong and supposing that you can manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you were wrong and thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. And it is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. It's a decision. It's not an emotional thing, right? David's not simply responding because of his guilt and shame. It is a decision, not simply an emotional thing. Okay, four steps that I want to look at just briefly as we think about this idea of repentance. Here's the four things. We have to see our sin, we have to confess our sin, we have to experience grace, and we have to seek restoration. See our sin, confess our sin, experience grace, and seek restoration. Notice in verse 4, it's interesting, he says, Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, that feels like a miss. Because I'm pretty sure uh, Bathsheba would say, uh, hello, right? That's, um, uh, I'm pretty sure Uriah would have said, uh, that feels a bit weird to me that you, your response is, I've only sinned against God. Like, it actually feels like you've sinned against a lot of people. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. Multiple people have died. Um, Bathsheba and Uriah, their obviously relationship is no more. So, so what does David mean when he says, you and you alone I have sinned against. What, what he's saying is, um, what, he's, what he's saying is basically the first step in repentance is seeing your sin for what it is. And at the root of your sin it is a transgression against God. Now, it, it, affects, um, it affects other people. But the key to really embracing repentance and seeing sin is to see our sin the way God sees our sin. And to understand it. Uh, we have an incredible problem as, hu as, as human beings um, of being able to do incredible evil because we find a way to look at that evil in a way that doesn't look evil. Let me say that again. We have an incredible problem as human beings to do incredible evil uh, because we're able to find a way to look at that evil in a way that doesn't look evil. Don't we do this? How's that out? Yeah. Uh, Robert Alter, he um, wrote a commentary on First and Second Samuel. He basically says that this, this situation with David didn't come out of the blue. Because you kind of read and go, how did this happen? Isn't he a man, like, in line with God? Isn't he this prototype Jesus? And he basically says this... Um, Commentary he says, you can go back and read what's been going on in David's life. You can see how slowly but surely he's being changed by the political power that he now has. Um, 
that's changing him. He, he said there's been years and years of not exactly lying, not technically lying, but deceiving, years and years of marginalizing opponents, not dealing directly with them and honestly with them. And, and he said, most of all, what happens is years and years of, of more and more of taking liberties, more and more feeling like you're above the rules because of this self-pity that you have. He, he basically says that David believes like, man, no one, no one, no one knows what it's like to be king. And you don't get the pressures I feel. I deserve this. You, you don't understand the, the stress I'm under. You don't understand the anxiety I feel as king. He, he basically says it's been this process for David where he basically gets to the point and goes, you know what? And this is, this is so true of us. I deserve this. I deserve this. Yeah, it may, I mean, technically maybe wrong. But, but I, I get it. And so this is what happens to us. We, we start to see sin, not as sin. We make excuses for our wrong behavior. We begin to rationalize, right? David, David with Bathsheba, is responding as a lover. With Uriah, he's responding as a, a commander. I mean, Uriah's a, a mighty man. He, he go into battle. He knows he could die. We're not seeing sin the way God sees sin. And the first part of repentance is seeing it the way that God sees it. You see, David, uh, long before Bathsheba, long before he took Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, had forgotten about God. It had been a slow process. He was no longer enjoying a passionate relationship with God. And so in Psalm 51, what we get is now David is seeing with clear eyes. The veil has been pulled back. And he's going, what have I done I have transgressed I have lost my relationship with God and in a lot of ways I think the primary task of the Christian life and I want you to hear this the, the primary task of the Christian life is is not so much to avoid sin although that's important now it's a bit impossible but but it's an it's important thing to do but I think one of the primary tasks is not simply to avoid sin but to recognize sin in our life not, not to just try and stay away from it but begin to kind of recognize okay where um where is sin beginning to creep in where am i beginning to slip here where am i um kind of uh giving over some some areas of control where are new places that are beginning to crop up perhaps you're 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 progressing in maturity with jesus and you're not living the way that you used to live right so you're not you know some of you were just crazy rebellious, right? And, and so you just said, I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. But where have you now allowed pride or control to step in? Where are you slipping? Can, can we be honest? In a, in a city like Boston, a city that we're in, and, and trying to be a Christian, not all of you are Christian in the room, but a, a lot of you are, it can be really easy in this city to slip. Can't it? Like, it can be really easy based on the kind of just the cultural pressures, your neighbors, your friends, your teammates, the people you're kind of operating in. It can be really easy to allow sin to slip in by just doing what everyone else is doing. Very easy. There's no cultural power by being a, a Christian here. And so repentance says, I'm not called to be like everyone else. 
And, and when I begin to look like everyone else through sinful behavior, I must respond. I must be different. Um, David was changed, not primarily because he was looking at the punishment. And, and the, pun- the punishment, just so you know, is God was quick in his judgment. And he came to David and said, you've transgressed, and because you've transgressed, I'm going to take the child that is in Bathsheba. It's, com- it's so complicated and complex. And, and, and David responds um, in, in a way that any future father, regards to the circumstances, right? And, and so he's changed, though, not because of the fear of, of the consequences, but, but he's changed because he's looking at the loss of relationship with God that he's been experiencing over the years. And so he's beginning to see it. Okay, let's keep moving. Psalm 51, 5 through 7. It says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. And wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Okay, so the second thing that we said, so the first thing it says, we have to see our sin. The second thing uh, in this process of repentance is confessing our sin. When we name our sin to God, we do what? And to others, we bring it into the light. This is 1 John 1. Um, says, listen, we, we bring this stuff into the light. And what it does when we confess our sin is it weakens sin and it calls on the power of grace for healing and freedom. This is what happens when, when we name it. And so David says, I, I take full responsibility. Um, no excuses. This is why he says in verse 1, blot out my rebellion. Rebellion is what? It's an intentional action. And, and so, so David's saying, I sinned because I wanted to. I take full responsibility. I freely chose it. I sinned because I wanted to. This is on me. No one else to blame. I can't blame anybody else. I'm I'm not making any excuses. I did it because I want to do it. That's why he says in verse 6, you want integrity in the inner self. David's saying, my inner self wanted this sin. Taking this on. And, and, and we, um, when we sin, um, we we always sin because we really we really want to. We choose it. Now there are circumstances that get super complex, right? Like some of you would say, oh, I didn't, I didn't want to lie, uh, but I had to lie because if I didn't lie, um, I, I had a situation where I could have lost my job. So my consequences forced me to lie. I didn't want to lie, but I did lie. Right? And, and, and so the reality is what, what you really mean, I want you to hear this with love, but I need to press here. What you really mean is in that moment, money and security means more than you than the truth. That's, that's what you mean to say. See, we, we make a choice in those kind of moments. I know it's difficult, but we, we make a choice. Instead of entrusting ourselves to God in, in, in the situation, we, we, we rationalize, we make sense of it. Instead of just saying, you know what, no, in that moment, I, I care more about the security of my job than the truth. The circumstances uh, ultimately made me do it. Uh, circumstances might shape your sin, but they never cause it. One of the problems that we have is we want to, and this is true of me, is we want to avoid responsibility. Um, this is why Adam, in the Genesis story, says, this woman that you gave me, 
<laughs> this is why Eve's like the serpent. This is, this is like what we want to do. We want to push off responsibility on other people instead of just saying, no, this is on me. I did this action. So, so confession of sin is confession without any qualifiers. It's not a, a groveling admission that I'm a terrible person. It's not about beating yourself up. It's actually a really healthy view of the gospel to say, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51, 8 through 15. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones, you have crushed, rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins. Blot out my guilt. God, clean me with a clean, or create in me a clean heart. For me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I'll teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Okay, so we said we have to see our sin. We have to confess our sin. Confession with no qualifiers. The third thing that we... we um, say is we have to experience grace so this isn't so much something you do but something you receive in this moment now it's fascinating because david here it's almost like he's breaking out into song it's almost offensive when you're reading it because you're like whoa bro slow down should you should be shouldn't there be a little bit longer process of like you know sitting in it um but he says man give restore that joy to me he, he's already like i'll i'll teach others of um, about you, about your kindness and love, right? It feels like he's getting a bit ahead of himself. But, but I think what's happening here and what we can learn from repentance um, is this. And, and I've found this to be true in my own life. When we confess our sin, when we own our sin, both to God and to others, um, so whether it's habitual sin patterns that maybe you have in your life, or whether it's one-time sins, um, he, here's what happens on the other end of confession and repentance and it makes zero sense i want to say that i've experienced in my own life it makes zero sense when you own your sin before god and other people there is a type of joy on the other end of that confession and repentance that you never anticipated and it makes zero sense see here's what we think we think if i own this before god if i if i confess this before god we, we think as if he doesn't already know but we think that God operates like we do. And if someone transgresses us, if someone breaks our trust, we do what? You're out. You're out. Uh, like we just, we think God operates like we do, but he does not operate like we do. It brings him joy when we own our sin, when we confess. And so we, we kind of hold back from these things, right? So maybe you've got some hidden stuff going on in your life, some hidden kind of secret sins going on. You're like, I got to hold this in myself. I'm going to fix this. I'll figure it out. I'll, you know, I'll deal with this. No one else understands this. This is my issue. If I have this conversation with her, it's going to destroy her. If I have this conversation with him, it's going to destroy him. It's going to have all of these consequences. Like we kind of run over this in, in our head because we think God operates like we do and, and we're trying to operate in the world. And I just want to know, just want you to know from the scriptures and from personal um, experience that there is a type of joy that you're like, I, I, this is, this is mind-blowing. It's a type of freedom that comes with that. Now, it doesn't mean you don't deal with consequences. And, and we'll get to that in a second. 
but, but there is a type of joy that, that causes David to respond in this way. It, it's fascinating. So Psalm 51, uh, there's four different ways to name sin in Psalm 51. So there's, there's four different ways. Um, so just kind of putting sin out in the open, there's four different words that we see here. And, and so these four words for sin are sufficient to kind of adequately map the territory here. You kind of see like, okay, I'm seeing all these, these things. But, but the central action in Psalm 51 is actually carried by, hear this, is actually carried by 19 different verbs used to invoke or declare God's action of forgiveness and restoration. There are a finite, uh, uh, there, there like a, a finite number of ways to sin, but an infinite number of ways for God to forgive. Finite, right? It's small. Psalm 51 is like 19 different verbs. It carries the whole thing. That God's forgiveness and restoration is possible on the other side of repentance, on the other side of confession. Our um, access to God, hear this, our access to God is even greater than David's. David did not know that the face of God was Jesus. Like, he, he didn't even have that. He had, he had the Old Testament. He had some of the, the writings of the Old Testament, right? He had Nathans, and he had people that were speaking truth to him, preaching to him. He did not see or fully grasp who Jesus was, and, and we have it. 1 John 1, 1 through 9 John says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 2, 4 says, or you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, see we have, through the, the truth and the reality of the gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we actually have more access to God we have a deeper understanding of, of forgiveness and restoration through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus than David did. And yet David can respond with, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Give it back to me. Give it back to me. 16 through 19, look at the end here. It says, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. In your good pleasure, you cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices who burnt offerings and the bulls will not be offered on your, or the bulls will be offered on your altar. The, f the fourth step in repentance is seeking restoration. Uh, David does what? He says, like, I'll do whatever's necessary. If it was sacrifices, I would do it, but I know that that's not, like, what you're wanting. You're, you're desiring a broken, contrite spirit. He's like, I, I will do whatever is necessary. And, and I just want to say, as we're thinking about this idea of repentance, um, very often, if you own your sin before God and before others, there's a type of restoration that must happen. There's a type of consequences that must happen. Um, Jesus 
uh, took it very seriously. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, if you've read it before, you, you know it. But basically, what does Jesus say? He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, so this, in a form of worship, you remember your brother or sister has something against you. He says what? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and first be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So he says, listen, don't come and, and worship and do the type of things if you haven't done the full work of restoration. Own where you need to own. Uh, we get a story in Luke 19.8. Our, our kids were in their fifth VBS this past week because that's what you do when you're surviving in the city with kids. And so it's like, kids, we're going to VBS again. And they're like, that's great. You know, you could teach it at this point, but let's go. And so we were talking to our kids about repetition's good, man. This is spiritual formation, right? Um, it's all about repetition, baby. So, uh, so we were talking to our kids this past week. And we're like, hey, tell us what the lesson is, kind of what's happening. Um, in this new exciting VBS this week. And uh, they were learning about Zacchaeus. And so we were talking to our son. And we're like, hey, well, tell us what happened with this story. And he's like, you know, he started going to that story about, well, Zacchaeus took money. And then Katie was like, well, did he have to, you know, do more? Like, how did he? And he's like, yeah, he had to give more money, right? And, and we have this living picture of this story. And Zac- this is uh, Luke 19. But um, if you're interested, you can go. There's another VBS next week you can go to. But um, I'll give you the paperwork. So uh, what's the story? Zacchaeus goes, Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. Hear this. He encounters Jesus. He's mesmerized by the person of Jesus. He's changed by his teaching, but even more than his teaching, he's changed by his presence. And the story in Luke 19, the the story goes that Zacchaeus is invited into relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to your house today, bro. Come down. Go into your house. He's invited into relationship. And Zacchaeus' response is not simply, I'm sorry that I've been taking from my people as a tax collector. He says, not only will I give it back, I'll give it back two, three, fourfold. It's full restoration. So there's very real work when it comes to confession, repentance. There's a very real work of saying, um, not just embracing the grace that comes with it, because that's important, but it's also owning where you've been owned. And so I want to give us a moment here. Let's just kind of sit in a little bit of a response time, and then we'll take the bread and cup together. Um, but, but I want us to kind of come around this idea, right, that real repentance um, always calls us to right wrongs at the cost to ourselves. Now, if you're here in this space, we, we've already talked about it. Um, there are really two types of repentance that happen. There's a first type of repentance. It's a conversion repentance. It is a, I've transgressed against God. And the only way I can be in relationship with God is through a life with Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, right? That, that gives us access to the Father. When we say yes to Jesus, that's a turning from our old way and walking in the way of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. There's a first one. But there's a second type of repentance that happens, man, all the time. We do not mature out of repentance. We don't mature out of it. And so let's take a little bit of time. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe for you, you need to own some stuff. You're like, oof, I got some stuff in my inner world that I need to have some conversations about. I got some stuff I've been doing, I've been participating in, I've been thinking, and, and I need to bring it out into the light. I need to take its power away. And can I just say, if that's you, and there is beauty on the other side. There's joy on It's hard. It's difficult. But there's joy and beauty. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to receive the gospel. You say yes to Christ. 
let's take just a, a little bit of time. You can just kind of sit in your space. Maybe you need to talk with the Father, and then I'll lead us into our bread and cup. <laughs>